after I graduated, I wasn't really sure what profession to take my English major and my minors into. I wasn't sure what um, what to go to because I didn't want to drop all that money on law school Was when I wasn't quite sure what aspect of law I wanted to go into. I knew I wanted to fight for right. I knew I wanted to have a voice in social justice. I just wasn't sure what that looked like. You know, being first gen, I'm kind of just like um, being scrappy with my entire journey. Welcome to Scratching the Record. This podcast features interviews with inspiring guests who are rewriting the rules of a creative career. I'm your host, Camille Cannon, a TEDx speaker, writer, former radio host, and now creator of this here podcast. I know there's a lot of pressure to have your life all figured out. And let me just say, nobody really does. And that's okay. As our guests show, the path to a meaningful life and career isn't always linear. Like a needle on the record, you can scratch out your own groove. Florine Cruz Williams is many things. She is an accomplished professional in the field of public relations with more than 10 years experience across the tourism and food industries. She is a graduate student in the Master of Arts in Museum Studies program at John Hopkins University. I really think it's best to borrow flum from Florine's Instagram bio. You should check her out at Florine Field Notes by describing her as a polymath, a person of wide ranging knowledge and learning. What constantly impresses me about Florine is her dedication to learning about herself, her heritage, her communities, and the way we all impact one another. Florine, I am so glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Camille. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm, I've been very much looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes. So glad to, to get to talk with you as well, and we are going to get it started. I would love if you could tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Oh, what a big question. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, though, because it kind of leaves so much room for interpretation and is allowing me to kind of self-reflect on, you know, how am I receiving this question? Um, How did I get to where I am today? I'd have to say it is a constant journey that I have been on. I'd say my whole life as, uh, you know, a Pinai American, um, Mm -hmm. just searching for self, um, searching for reflections of uh, myself, my people in history, um, and kind of just trying to find um, any kind of trace that uh, could lead to an answer. Uh, I've always been a little bit of a Carmen San Diego, a little <laughs> bit of a, a little bit of an Indiana Jones type uh, person, yes. uh, and um, a little bit of Harriet the Spy. Like when I was a when I was a young girl, like I really just kind of vibed with the 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 um, the spirit of um, ser- searching, investigating, uncovering, um, and finding truths, um, and adventure. So I'd say, um, I've always just kind of followed my instinct and my heart in my search for self. And I'd say that's definitely what's gotten me to where I am today. 
I love that. I love how you went like thematic with it. You went sense of self with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, that's fantastic. And let's kind of talk, I think, about um, about young Florine and, um, you know, that Harriet the Spy character that you, you saw in yourself. Like, what were some of the ways, I think, early on where that spirit was showing up for you? So my parents are divorced. Um, they split up around the same time, maybe even earlier than I discovered Harriet, the character of Harriet the Spy and the character of Carmen Sandiego. Mm-hmm. And they're these like, you know, really inquisitive, um, a little out of the box, um, self-sufficient um, female figures. Um, I grew up an only child too. So navigating the whole like, um, custody situation between parents was something I had to handle on my own. Um, and I, and, and seeking like that, that, that escape and that imaginative way of just having adventures in my own mind. I think my younger self really, really, um, was interested in that and just like continued that spirit throughout the rest of my life. Yeah, no, that's, that's, um, gosh, that's incredible how um, you kind of had this idea of yourself from early on. And um, I know you you mentioned like Carmen Sandiego too, and um, you've made lots of like, lots of moves, like, you know, in terms of like big career moves and exciting moves, but you've also made like geographic moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to hear kind of like, you know, if you, even if you want to start like chronological, like what is it about like different cities that you've lived in that, you know, kind of made an impact on you or you learned about who you were, if you want to take us through um, some different cities? Oh, yeah, that's that is a great opportunity to kind of um, reflect on that. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say the first half of my life or the first third of my life, um, the cities I lived in were not by my own choice. Um, Mm -hmm. They were either through a natural disaster or um, the military moving um, family around or, you know, um, a divorce. Um, So though they were not by choice, I was a minor, you know, I was a dependent, Um, um, a refugee, an immigrant. Um, And then through, I'd say, once I was in undergrad, I went to, I went to um, UNC Chapel Hill to get my undergrad. Um, Once I was in my undergrad, I feel like I kind of bit the bug, the travel bug of, Mm -hmm. oh, there are, there are ways I can explore the world that aren't related to trauma. Like what? Mm. I can do that. I can actually um, go on these other adventures. I can actually like seek out um, a global perspective. This is possible for me. What? Yeah. How do I do that? How do I do that? And so, um, you know, I I was very privileged growing up that I could go back and forth to the Philippines whenever my mom would have a trip. You know, we call it our Balik Bayan trip. Um, and so I've, I'm no stranger to the concept of traveling, but it really was in undergrad that like exposed me to this possibility that I could do this as a profession and or do this um regularly in my life. And when I say do this, I mean like travel Um, and not just travel, but to actually get to know different cultures um, through their own 
authentic lenses and not just what I'm reading in a book or seeing on TV. Yeah. Getting that like up close Um, real life experience. Yeah. 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 So I, um, you know, I got that, that, um, that hunger, I'd say um, in undergrad and um, that was in North Carolina. Uh, after I graduated, um, you know, I actually, in undergrad, I um, got my minor in art history. Um, mm. And m- getting my minor in art history was my sort of rebel way, <laughs> uh, my, my like rebel way of saying, I mean, my, my entire uh, academic undergrad career was kind of a rebellion to my parents. Like they, you know, typical like kind of Filipino parents, they wanted me to either be like a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse those types of professions. And, you know, I graduated with an English major, a women's studies, which is now called a gender studies um, minor and an art history minor. So um, I minored in art history. And um, that for me was like my rebel way of like keeping my art self alive, um, no matter, no matter what. Um, And um, after I graduated, I thought that I would go to law school. Um, but my last semester of my last semester of undergrad, because I had finished all my credits, I just took a bunch of electives and my electives really, again, opened up more worlds for me. So I feel Mm -hmm. like, um, I just kept finding like another portal that would lead to another world. (laughs) And and then I would go explore that. Um, and so, um, you know, after I graduated, I wasn't really sure what profession to take my English major and my minors into. Mm. I wasn't sure what, um, what to go to, cause I didn't want to drop all that money on law school was when I wasn't quite sure what aspect of law I wanted to go into. I knew yeah. I wanted, to, I knew I wanted to fight for rights. I knew I wanted to, um, I knew I wanted to have a voice in social justice. I just wasn't sure what that looked like, you know, being first gen, I'm kind of just like, um, being scrappy with my entire journey you know, um, learning from everywhere else since I didn't really have that model figure. Which Um, props to you for that, because I feel like it does, it does not get enough credit how hard that is. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to take a moment to celebrate you for that and figuring this out. Yeah. Yeah, You're first gen too. So, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, finding the tools right at your disposal and saying, okay, what do I do with this tool? How do I make this work um, with, with that, um, with that bolt, you know, and then, uh, building something from it. But anyway, um, I digress with that a little bit. With, no, not understanding exactly what to do. I didn't want, I didn't want my sense of, um, you know, okay, well, what do I do with this now to take away from the momentum I had of like, I'm ready to go into the workforce. Mm. I'm ready to, I'm ready to be independent. I went at that independence with a fervor and a passion. (laughs) Like I really did after I graduated and I always resisted the narrative of being a struggling artist. Shout out to all of the, all the artists out there who do identify with being a struggling artist. I get it. I understand it but the way my life panned out and the way my family structures were it was always something I resisted just me personally um and so I really um was I really kind of kept that as a private self while my public self went out to go figure out how to be somebody in the workforce um and so in going for that I was like I can't just do this on my own no matter how much I really want to um 
And so I went to Vegas. Um, I had um, family in Vegas. I didn't know what to expect out of Vegas. I mean, I was coming from North Carolina, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm Uh, guessing it's different. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I knew that I was like, okay, if I can get my training ground in the workforce, I can still exercise my artist self and I could still see what kind of culture is, is uh, what kind of cultures will resonate with me. Like who is active in art, who is active in music, yeah. who is active, what, what cities are active. And I was like, you know what? Everybody wants to visit Vegas someday. My mom is already there. Mm-hmm. My dad's already there. Uh, my stepdad. And if I'm going to be doing a lot of this, like a lot of this navigation on my own, at least I can have some sense of home, um, even in a, in, even in a state I, I didn't grow up in, even in a location I didn't really know anything about. Um, so I went out there and I just like went out with a passion. I was going, I, I everywhere I went, I wanted to make sure I networked any, I, I was, uh, it was my first steps in PR and I made sure that no matter what kind of event I was working, I was still, I was still networking and I was still, um, getting to learn about how the city worked, who were the, mm-hmm. um, you know, who are the writers of the city? Who are the culture bringers of the city? Who are the culture makers who lived here, who grew up here, who shaped this place? And I feel like that who, what, where, when, why, um, those are the things I seek out whenever I'm, uh, exploring and adventuring. So, um, I was singing in Vegas. I was, you know, getting my start in the, in, in the field of public relations and, I was opened up to this world of travel and hospitality. Um, And so I really, um, I really, I'm really grateful for my time in Vegas. Um, I got the opportunity to move to New York. Um, I like to say it was a sense of romance, wonder, and a little bit of just like, you know, I'm young if I don't do it now. When will I do it? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you just have to do it. (laughs) Exactly. So I took a little bit of a sabbatical after um, my first, I'd say like year and a half, almost two years in Vegas. And I did a little eat, pray, love thing in Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, After that, uh, after that very amazing, uh, life-changing, enriching time of my life. And I did that solo, by the way, (laughs) and like with, with just a backpack. Wow. Um, After I did that, um, that could be a whole nother conversation. I was just going <laughs> to say, <laughs> my mind <Yeah>. is transported. <laughs> <laughs> that Dang, is okay. honestly, that's sad. Actually, no, let's get into it. Let's get into it All right. a little bit. Uh, during that time, I spent a lot of time with family in the Philippines. Mm. Um, and because I wasn't attached to, and so during the sabbatical, I knew that my next step would be New York. You know, I was like, all right, I'm ready to kind of, I'm ready to be away from, um, the comforts of the comforts of my mom. Um, and I'm ready to just like, um, seek out, seek out something. Um, I, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew that I wanted to be somewhere where things were happening. So I was like, you know what? I got inspired by um, an essay by E.B. White, um, big literary figure, E.B. White, and it's called Mm -hmm. Here is New York. 
And it's basically this beautiful love letter to New York, you know, just describing the city through sensory details. Um, it touched on all the things that I love, which I think about as like the nine muses, right? The arts, the sciences. Mm. Um, and it, and it, I was like, you know, it in the city that never sleeps in a city that so many figures in history have written about romanticize about, I want to experience that for myself. Yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't romantically attached to anybody. I didn't have any, um, you know, academic obligations. So I really took that jump. And before I decided to land in that city, I was like, I'm going to take a sabbatical um, and really just spend time with family. Um, and I mean, like family, family, like Philippines family. So <laughs> um, when I left Vegas, I spent um, a summer plus some um in Southeast Asia. Oh, wow. And because I wasn't attached to a job, because I wasn't attached to anyone romantically, I was really able to just like be as present as possible. Mm. And what I mean by that is I mean, I, I, I didn't, um, this is a time before Instagram stories, right? So before the platform of Instagram had the ephemeral um, function of instant stories like yeah. it I this is this is that time in social media that I was um traveling so that's what I mean by being present I was able to like really go into my trip and be with my people and the people I was visiting without any kind of um without any kind of like pressure or um it, motivation to post if that mm. makes sense oh yeah yeah. You know, um, and it's subconscious at this point. That's another conversation. You know, we haven't gotten to get into yet, but your um, journey into pursuing your graduate degree. And um, I want to, I guess, start by um, you kind of taking me through your process in deciding to pursue um, your graduate education. Oof. Thank you for opening this door. I feel like Alice and Alice in Wonderland right now. Like, <laughs> and you like are giving me the little uh, the little vial that says drink me. <laughs> well, as many drops as you feel comfortable. <laughs> um so I mentioned earlier in undergrad, I was like, you know, I, I definitely want to go to law school. And to this day, like if you were to, if you were to check in with some of my peeps from um, college, uh, my college days, they'll be like, oh yeah, I remember when Florine talked about that a little bit. Did she ever do that? Answer is no. Um, <laughs> I went and did all the other things I talked about um, in our, in our little session today, Camille, uh, but, <laughs> but it's always been in the back of my mind. And, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old Florine is still in the back of my mind reminding me that that's, uh, if not a dream, it's a vision. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've always been, I, I've always been like, okay, well, what does that look like? Is that, what does, what does me at, what does me in the field of law, the practice of law, what does that look like? Um, you know, legal terms, I kind of, I kind of even see myself, my eyes glaze over sometimes when legal terms become a little too jargony. Yeah. Um, and so I was always like, I'll know in my life when this is, when I've caught 
um, an interest and an interpretation and a passion for what it is I'm fighting for. Mm. Um, and so the concept of repatriation is a motif in my life that keeps coming up, keeps showing up. Um, for those who don't know what repatriation means, it's um, on a literal dictionary level, it means like a return to the father. Mm. Um, and in legal terms, in the context of museums, the context of what we're talking about, yeah. it's the rightful, um, the rightful return of sacred objects to their, um, to their uh, original steward tribes, lands, um, people. Yeah. And um, in all my travels, especially when it comes to my own personal heritage, um, I've always been like, this is really messed up whenever I see a, 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 yeah. a sacred item where it's not supposed to be. And I think about the ways that people have been traded or um, wronged in the uh, in the ex exhibition of said item. Um, there's a lot of different ways I could go with this, but um, that motif really continued to show up either professionally um, on a physical level when it would be a press release about something um, that a client is, you know, wanting to push out there to a personal level of like, okay, well, what does, what does patrimony mean? Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, what does uh, a return to the motherland mean? Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it just kept coming up. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier that art history, that art self is always, you know, wanted to be kept alive. And so 10 years after, uh, approaching 10 years after I graduated, I started, like I said, self-reflecting and seeing what have I been doing this whole time? <laughs> you know, oh, I've been, um, I've been either exhibiting my own um, artwork in rallies, um, in protests, um, mm -hmm. art as activism. I've been um, showing up and showing up in museums as a patron, a visitor, or a community mm -hmm. member, an active member. Um, or I travel places, and I've been to over 100 museums at this point, Camille. Wow. Um, or I travel places, and they're sites of respite. Um, they're sites of um, retreat. Um, they're, site, they're, they're therapeutic in a way. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they tend to feel safe, but they also tend to feel incredibly colonized. Um, it's mm -hmm. like, how can a place that feels so safe also be, also, uh, um, you know, have such have so much um colonial um colonial tension within it um mm. and so i i've gravitated towards that um and so knowing that law school is a long-term vision and um you know i have a vision for being an art and museum law um i wanted to know what is that stepping what is that stepping stone for me and for me that stepping stone was grad school. And I realized like, you know, I'm ready to commit to this. I've spent the past 10 years just kind of following my heart, following my intuition and seeking out, um, seeking out experiences where I am trying to un uncover um, places where my heritage is either muted or not included at all. How do I amplify those narratives? How do I magnify those stories? Um, and so, 
the decision to be in grad school right now is definitely a milestone and a yeah. stepping stone to get to that place in my life where I'm ready to be in law school. Wow. Wow. I feel like I was on the journey with you. Like the way that you tell that story <laughs> and the things that were coming up for you and speaking to you over years. Yeah. Your ability to take that information, recognize it, and then say, okay, what am I going to do with this information now that I, you know, I've I've collected it. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like the idea of field notes, right? I mentioned, you know, Indiana Jones. Um, I mentioned Carmen Sandiego. I mentioned uh, Harriet the Spy. And like, when I think about, you know, um, these, these, these characters who are traveling or they're um, adventuring or they're literally in their field taking notes, I feel like that's what I do in all areas of my life. Mm -hmm. um, professionally, uh, personally, artistically, I'm always taking notes. Um, so you best believe that if we have a conversation, I will track what we talk about, you know, and like, and I, and I really, um, I like to see people light up when um, they're affirmed in their own stories, when yeah. they're, when they're inspired by their own narrative. Um, I feel like we have a lot of self-limiting voices coming at us from a lot of different directions. Yeah. Um, and so I think note-taking is incredibly powerful and it's incredibly um, important um, when you are journeying through life. Um, saving and logging and recording, recording what it is that you are um, passionate about. And even if you're not, even if you don't know what it is, when you reflect and years go by, you start to find these patterns, you start to realize these motifs when you have your notes um, of all your experiences. Yeah, that's so important. I feel like I think about, like, you know, myself 10 years ago, and just the way in which the world moves so fast and mm -hmm. expects you to keep up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's it's about finding those areas to like slow down, reflect, look back at your notes, like take the time to write your notes, give yourself a little bit of space because um, yeah, if you don't get that opportunity or give yourself that opportunity, find that opportunity, it's easy to get swept up, I think. And yeah, like we're we're pressured at a really, really unprecedented pace to produce. Yeah. Um, I tell my colleagues a lot, like when it comes to, you know, your day to day, like you got to think about like, when are you a consumer and when are you a producer? Um, and yeah, talk, that, talk about that. That time of day doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, not everybody produces at the rate that they consume and vice versa. And when you actually start to think about that or self, like ask yourself that and um, reflect on it, um, you can start to, you know, either, you can either accept that that's a behavior that you have and um, be happy with that. Or if, you know, it, it once you self-reflect and you identify what that looks like to you, your consumer and your producer areas of your day, um, you can decide like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not really down with the way that that ratio looks. Mm -hmm. Let me switch it a little bit. What kind of behaviors or habits can I, um, alter to be more happy with that ratio? Right. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and like, what have you learned for yourself? Like, um, you know, what is, what is consuming versus producing look like for you? Or how are you navigating that, uh, I guess, tension within your own day to day? Great question. Um, when I think of consuming and I think of producing, I think of input and output. Mm. So consuming for me is input. What's coming yeah. in? What's bring, what am I, what am I, what am I, um, what am I reading? What am I listening to? What am I looking at? What am I eating? Um, what am I, you know, what is, what is going into my mind, body, and soul? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think of producing, I think of my output. Okay, what's coming from my mind, body, and soul? What am I putting out into the world? Um, what am I saying out loud? What am I writing? And what, what what is this email? How is this email going to be received on the other end? And backtrack a little bit. Remember, side note, I am a publicist. So <laughs> I average hundreds of emails a day. Yeah. Um, you know, and... Uh, for me, that output, that output, that producer mode is, okay, what am I, um, what's in my fridge and what am I cooking and what is that going to render out to be? Um, you know, everything for me, like the way that I see things, it's either an input or an output. And if, if, uh, it's an output, it's something that is being produced from me and then put out into the world. If it is an input, it is something I'm consuming from the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's really um, helpful. I think to just have that perspective of, I think just identifying or, or taking a second look at how we spend. Yeah. Our days. Yeah. Cause once you do, you'll start to understand why doom scrolling is a thing. Mm. <laughs> um, and, then, <laughs> and then once you identify oh doom scrolling um you'll then to think about okay well what is scrolling you know um I can go off on a tangent <laughs> we're not designed to be um consuming at the rate that we are <laughs> yeah it's so it's so I think I find it helpful to remind myself of that because like when I was in college, even in undergrad, I took a class in like 2011. I was like, ooh, what is social media? Like right. we didn't, nobody knew. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, and honestly, you and I are, I believe, of the same like crap class uh, generation. Um, you know, I remember when Twitter was not for brands, like, and I remember mm. when Instagram was not for brands either. So like really coming of age and watching these industries kind of grow up in the same ways that our adulthoods have matured as well has been so interesting. It's like we're co-evolving with these platforms. Um, going down another rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, I've, I'm excited to talk about this. Like I remember doing an interview once with a, uh, law writing professor. And she said, you know, like back in the day, there were no gyms. Nobody needed to like go to a gym to get their exercise because Mm -hmm. you were like on foot or you just on the move. Mm -hmm. And she's like, we will see down the line what we need to do to make up for like technology. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like what, how is our, how are our brains um, being affected generationally by this, um, you know, sort of co-evolution that's happening. 
um, or devolution, um, depending on how you see it. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, like kind of in the, in the season of life that you're at and um, I guess, you know, we were talking about you being um, in grad school as well. You're also bouncing work and family. Mm-hmm. Like, what about this season of life do you feel like is familiar? Uh, you know, you're pulling threads from the past. And in what ways do you feel like it's stretching you or you're, you're challenging you in different ways? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'm going to go real micro. I have a paper due today. <laughs> well, thank um, you all the more. <laughs> Papers. So, yeah. I have a paper due today. Um, and I always have family as top priority, you know, like, and, and family for me is priority over everything. It's prior priority over absolutely everything. Um, so I never feel like family is stretching me. Mm. Um, I do feel that time is something I've learned to really micromanage when I have to. Yeah. And, um, strategically uh map out when I don't have to and what I mean by strategically map out is I like to have a zoomed out vision of what time looks like um that way I can have a big picture sense of what's possible and Mm. then when I zoom in on a um when I zoom in then I can actually get to the tactical so that's kind of abstract let me kind of break it down a little bit yeah when I zoom out, I'm looking at um, a quarter of a year. I'm looking okay. at a half of the year, or I'm looking at the overall year. Um, and then when I zoom in, if I'm looking at the overall year, I zoom in on the quarter. If I zoom in a little bit more, then I zoom in on the month. Zooming in a little bit more, I zoom in on the week and so forth, the day. Um, and so I've been able to really visually, um, visually use uh, sort of my art skills to, um, sketch out what time looks like. And when I sketch what time looks like, either by color code or by shape, I'm able to kind of, uh, identify the different selves that have to be active when they do and the different selves that have to be a producer or a consumer when they do that way I can really maximize time to be, a parent, to be an employee, to be, um, you know, a wife, a citizen, an artist, to yeah. be a, a student, you know, um, there's, we, we all carry a lot of different roles. Um, you know, I myself am also a daughter who is helping elders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but we can't be all those things all at the same time every day, every right. single day. So really being able to understand and reconceptualize time allows me and I hope will allow others to see that you can be a priority and other areas in your life can be a priority. You just have to be in control of it and you have to manage it accordingly. Wow. I wish we had this conversation when I started grad school. Um, wow. Yeah. The level of intention that you are approaching your time and your energy, um, to, to make these things, to, to give of yourself in these different areas is really inspiring. Um, 
yeah, I'm just taking a moment to, to process that. <laughs> oh, thank you. I receive your feedback for real because, you know, um, I, I really don't believe in having to overproduce and and uh, and be like a continuous running engine. So when, you know, when you kind of look at my look at my 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 stat card or my resume or you know my bio or whatever have you it may seem like oh my gosh you are just doing the most girl but <laughs> um i'm really i'm really just intentional about when those seasons of which selves are activated yeah oh that's so important gosh yeah. and i'm i'm so grateful to you for sharing that wisdom because I like th this can be useful for for so many people is just thinking about your time in that way and um you know just the, the way that work and school like throws these things at us and you know we're going to figure out how which ones to catch when <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah gosh yeah I really I really think we we don't have to be everything all at once oh man I'm thinking about that movie um everything everywhere all at once um but but oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, let me just sit with that a minute, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> uh, but, but truly, um, we are, we are such a, we, as human beings, we are, we shouldn't have to just subscribe to a brand. Um, I feel like there's a whole generation right now who is so self-conscious, like of what their brand looks like, their personal brand looks like. Um, I mean, like if we talk about the evolution of mirrors, like from, the literal first mirror anthropologically of like the uh, 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 a pond of water mm -hmm. to what mirrors are today, which are multiple screens on multiple platforms. Our sense of self is and our ego is very, very different. Um, or our egos, maybe if you want to think about it that way. Um, but like we, we don't have to subscribe to a personal brand that we don't have to attach to that brand to be a human to be um, a person, we don't have to. Um, and once we liberate ourselves from this pressure of what that brand looks like, what that reflection looks like, we can really just approach life um, with our own mission, vision, and values and not to worry about what that other brand perspective is. Wow, we are we are audio only, but I am telling you, like you're, I'm tearing up a little bit. <laughs> um, and then I, and then I laugh because that's my instinct, but um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We'll laugh together. Um, yeah. I, I mean that I, I have to say like really speaks to why I wanted to even do this project and, and put something out there for this is for, um, I think just thinking about like, people who, you know, might be hearing whispers of, of, um, they want to do something different in life and not knowing what to do with those whispers. And, um, you know, whether there be a young person or someone considering career change or someone who's just been kind of like head down for a while, um, and, and is trying to figure out the next step. Like, um, I'm very, very grateful that, uh, we're having this conversation and you're sharing these, um, this wisdom because I, I think it it has a lot of power to make an impact on 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 people's lives. Oh, thank you so much for that feedback. I really um I'm really learning how to receive feedback in in that kind of way in this season of my life. Um and it's really um 
I guess like equipping me with confidence I didn't know I had um, to continue sharing my story or to continue um, just vocalizing what I believe um, because I feel like for so long I've kind of turned the volume down a little bit on my voice um, because there's so much noise out there. Um, so thank you so much, Camille, for, you know, this opportunity. This has been really, really um, a lot of self-reflection. Um, yeah, I hope it inspires others to do the same. That does it for this episode of Scratching the Record. Be sure to follow us here on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Scratching the Record. Tell us what you liked and share this episode with a friend. Until next time, this has been Scratching the Record. <laughs>